Well, everything starts somewhere, uh, including faith. Your romance started somewhere, your education started, your parenting started somewhere, and uh, our, your faith has to start somewhere as well. For many of us, we've had uh, a, perhaps a framework that we've either been given or we've downloaded about faiths from somewhere, whether you were a kid, grown up in church, or you were just, uh, just a, a, an innocent bystander at a friend's dinner table and they prayed or something. We all began to download certain frameworks that we believe to be true about faith. And so it, whether it's a statement like God is good, God is love, God punishes, God is angry, there's different things that we understood to be true about faith. Um, but at some point in your life, you realize that framework did not survive the rigors of adulthood. Can I get an amen? Come on. Come on, my brothers and sisters. Let's go. You realize that certainly... The problem or the storm that I'm in or something happened in life, maybe you had a season, maybe you had uh, an addiction, maybe you had uh, an accident, maybe you had something happen where the, that event could not, you couldn't make sense of that event with your current framework of faith. And so what happens is you take that framework and you put it on the shelf and say, certainly there's got to be something more to life. Certainly there's another way to look at this. And what we do is we maneuver through that entire uh, season of our life just kind of wandering. And so start, we really need an adult starting point. And that adult starting point isn't a book, it's not a certain group of people, but it's who you and what you do with the person named Jesus. Because his life, his death, and his resurrection is not some sort of an alternative spirituality. His life and his death and resurrection is a historical event that we have to have an interpretation for. We have to understand what his resurrection means or what we're doing is we're, we're regarding or disregarding historical evidence. And so we have to figure out, okay, if this happened, if this took place, certainly it must have a change, an implication for how I see my life Today, we have to have a starting point for faith. And for Jesus, uh, for Jesus, his starting point with us is not anything from you, but it was for you. And his relationship, his relationship um, started with you, not based off your performance, like every other God that exists in any religious system today. His starting point for you started with trust and faith. It started with trust, and it started with faith. But, but there, there comes a time in every uh, relationship, we, certainly there is something expected of you, right? And, and so it comes down to this major question that everyone asks, that everyone engages with at different times of their life, especially when they're interacting with churches and religions and all over the place. What about the rules? Certainly this can't all be good, like good news for me. I gotta do something, right? How many times you get the phone call, be like, I got something free for you. And you're like, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure. And so it comes down to the point is, what about the rules? What do we do with all the rules? I mean, like, when you look around, you see all these, well, Christians should do this, and, and Christians should do that. They shouldn't do this. And many times we bump into this question, and it creates within us a gap between what we know to be true about life and what we really hope God might stand for. And so what about the rules? And so if you want to grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5. It's page number 802. The 
Bible right there. If you are new today or you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can take that with you. Um, and uh, we just believe that it's a, it's a cool thing to uh, start your days off with and read and learn about who Christ is. That's our gift to you. Go ahead and take that. And if you're here each week, um, don't steal. Thanks. Yeah. What about the rules? It's one of the most perplexing issues of faith. What do we do with the rules? And no matter how you grew up, you probably bumped into a number of different things. Often in church world, um, instead of being introduced to the person of Jesus, a lot of times we're introduced to his rules. And what we end up doing is, is we don't have a context for those rules because we haven't understood who Jesus is. And so you might come to a church and you might hear, you know, don't watch this, don't go here, don't do that, and there's really no context for any of it. So what it creates is like a certain underlying kind of a low-grade cynicism for really what any of this even means. Uh, and so depending on what church you grew up in or depending on if you, if you went to church at all, you ended up in in two camps, especially in today's polarizing world, we end up kind of in two camps. One is we end up with legalism. And legalism is rules with no heart. It's laws with no hugs. But on the other side of this is license. We kind of have a license to do whatever we want. And so it's uh, heart with no rules. And so we, we very, very easily can end up and just naturally shift to either side of it. There's a lot of us in here that are just very good rule keepers. Do we have any of, those, any of my brothers and sisters in the house today, right? Like, just give me what I got to do. I'll show up and I'll do them. It's, life is easy, right? Like, there's, there's some of us that are like that. And others are like, rules. There are no rules except for the ones that like, I just want to feel like doing something today, right? And, and so you end up with kind of a more free-flowing sort of understanding or approach or an interpretation of life. We end up on two different sides, license or legalism. If, if, you grew up in here this, if you grew up at a church this morning, how many of you grew up at a more legalistic type church, more rules, no heart, right? Yep, yeah, I get it. Yep, yep, welcome to, welcome to New England. Um, <laughs> then you have, how, many, how about license? Did you grow up in a, more of a licensed kind of, or maybe you didn't grow, go to church, kind of more like that, yeah. Um, and so we end up in two different camps. But what Jesus is gonna teach us uh, and we're gonna, as we're gonna move through today, is that morality isn't either one of those, but morality is being transformed by the Spirit into God's plan for human flourishing. And so that there's this interaction that takes place. It's not all rules with no heart, but it's, all, it's not all heart with no rules. That there is this dance, a very delicate dance that interacts with the two. Um, we are hardwired with this desire to be uh, moral people. Um, if you do any reading, if you're kind of like a, a bit more on the intellectual side, you like to read some of that stuff, C.S. Lewis does a great work. Uh, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity where he, inter he interacts with this exact point. He says we're all hardwired with some sort of law, some sort of rule, some sort of like a, a desire to, uh, to be good and right. Um, and, but really it's the definition of that and how we maneuver that. And so if you want to do some more study on that or do some more um, arguing, you can't argue with me right now, obviously, but um, you do some more arguing with C.S. Lewis in that book if you like to. Um, and, and there's just some back and forth that takes place and what morality is. But morality, because of this hard wiring, we, we kind of have this groaning for good and right. Certainly the world isn't that broken. 
right? And we get reminded of things all the time that maybe the world is broken in many different ways. Morality is being transformed into God's plan for human flourishing for, by the Spirit. And so today what we're going to do is just look at what are the roles of rules and what are some of those rules um, that God might just offer to us as a way to live life and a way to be transformed into his plan. Um, and we're going to look through uh, some of that today. We're going to do that through the Sermon on the Mount. Every major religion has a set of rules, um, that kind of like a basic understanding of, of what we should do because of uh, the religion. And so for, for, for Judaism, how many know what it is? Yeah, come on, speak back to me. It's okay. You won't get in trouble here. That's right. The rule is to, you're allowed to speak back, okay? So what, what are they? Ten Commandments, yep. And for, for Islam, what, is, what are those? Out of the Quran, it's the five pillars of, of, of Islam. They kind of have these five steps that they do. Um, and then and for Christianity, what is it? The Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people believe this is, the Sermon on the Mount is that list of rules. And, uh, and so if we engage them on a list of rules, though, uh, I think we'll, we'll really fall short of what Jesus was, was uh, hoping and preparing for them to be. And so we're going to be uh, there this morning in Matthew 5. So go to, go to your scriptures. Go to Matthew 5, verse 1. Verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. All right, hold off there. And you're like, really? We're two verses in, and we're calling a timeout already? My word. Um, the role of rules, number one, roles assume relationship. Now, today is going to feel a little bit more Bible study-ish, and you're like, oh, great, awesome, didn't want to go there. But, but really, we're, I, I, it's, it's okay to kind of go back and forth, because I'm going to be asking some questions. I want you to speak back to me. Just pretend we're a bunch of Pentecostals in the room. Is that okay? All right, sweet. I like my Pentecostal upbringing is coming out sometimes. Um, roles assume relationship. Who is Jesus sitting down on the mountainside with? His disciples. Who else is there? The crowd. How many audiences are in this exact area here? Two, right? Who is Jesus speaking to? His disciples. His disciples. Many times we think Jesus is projecting just kind of a broad audience. No, he's teaching. It says right here, his disciples gathered around him and began to teach them. But there's a crowd there. And so there's a distinguishing between hearers and followers. Are we tracking this morning? So there's a distinguishing between who's hearing him and who's being taught by him. Rules always assume relationship. Now I know this PowerPoint says roles. That's because I made it at like five in the morning. So, So just forgive me, give me some grace. The rule is not to be perfect on the PowerPoint. Rules assume relationship. There's a distinguishing between hearers and followers. There's a distinguishing between the two. And so his disciples gather him. He begins to teach them. And, and when we understand that rules assume relationship, we'll hear rules differently. When we give rules to our kids, or maybe you received as a, as a student or as a, as a young adult, you received some rules. Rules were always done with a desire to have, uh, for a desire to exercise love and care. Now, in many situations, and, and perhaps for, for some of you, that wasn't the case. It wasn't so much love and care as much as it was control. And we begin to interact with that. That feels funny because we weren't designed or created to be controlled. But we were created and designed for love and care, to be cared for and loved. 
And so for, for many of you, you, when you give your kids love and you give some limitations, you're doing it for their good. You're doing it for their good. Like, you know, when you're 16, your parents aren't saying, hey, hey, um, please don't go 93 miles an hour down the S-curves through 95, right? Like, if you're, if you're good enough, like, they're not sitting you down saying, if you're good enough, get in the slow lane and just change lanes to the high-speed lane, and then you can change lanes to the, slow, to the slow lane again, and then you never have to turn down the S-curves. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, yeah. How many got that ticket? Yeah, how many got that ticket? Come on. Everyone's like, everyone who lives in Taunton, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, but you do that to say, look, it's not a good thing for you to do that. That's not going to be the best way to live life. There's this familial sort of care and love. You do that for your high schooler students. Maybe when you were a young adult, you did that and you felt that. Maybe you got what, you got what your, your, your mom and your dad were talking about when you were saved from something. You said, okay, thank God I listened to them there. Because rules always assume relationships. And so for you, what is your interaction with the rules of Christianity? Maybe for you growing up, or maybe if you didn't go to church at all, what, what were rules for you when it came to religion? Was it a family, or maybe for you as a club? You're like, if you don't keep these rules, then you're out of here, buddy. You're out of here. And you know what? God might not like you anymore, too. And you feel that sort of level of control. Or maybe for you, it's like a homeowner's association. How many times have you, how many of us have ever been in a homeowner's association? Yeah, you're like, how many have gotten those passive notes about the rules of the HOA? Come on now, right? Yeah, if you're, you know, many of us live in Rehoboth, so it's like, I live in the woods. Uh, no homeowner's associations for me. Um, but you have, you have a family, a club, or sometimes you have this like passive sort of like, hey, you should follow these rules, and if not, I'm going to send you anonymous letters about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But for you, what were they? What, what was it, family, a club, or was it a little bit more like that passive relationship? See, what, 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 what Jesus is trying to establish here is that rules always assume relationship. Even in Exodus chapter 20, God is, is speaking through Moses to the, people of Israel, to, to the people of Israel, and he's speaking on the side of a mountain, just like Jesus is doing here. And he starts off with reminding them of all that God did for them, getting them out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them into the wilderness to be his people. He, he does this for them to free them from this, from this prior history. But he starts off with reminding them, I freed you from something. I freed you. And so what God is saying always is he starts not requiring something from you. He always starts with giving something for you. Always starts there. And some of you, you grew up in a church or you grew up in a, in a framework that said rules first, grace and love second. And that is not the story of the Bible. The story of Jesus is that he did something for you first, way before you could ever do something for him. In fact, he says, you know, all the things that you could do for him will never, ever, ever amount to anything that's as great as what he did for you. So the, the starting point for faith is always the life, the death, and the resurrection for Jesus. He started his relationship with you, not based off your performance, but based off your trust, based off your love, based off your faith. And so we have to start there. And then you realize, okay, I'm in, an, I'm in a family. The Bible says that you're adopted by God. He, they use this illustration of adoption to say this is our relationship with God. And so it starts with this massive understanding. We are are in a relationship, we're not just governed 
by, the, by a creator, but we are actually loved by a father. And so rules always assume relationship. So what is the role of rules? They, they assume relationship. And so what he's doing is understand, what you're, what's happening is you are being confirmed as a follower of Christ. You're not given a, uh, you're not given a condition for a relationship with him. And so we have to understand that role, rules assume relationship. Number two, rules provide a blueprint. All right, let's keep going here. Right at that moment, he sits down, he's ta- talking to his followers, people are hearing him, and he says this, God blesses those who are, poor, uh, who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because, listen to this, because you are my followers. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, because you were jerks, right? He doesn't say that. He said, because you were my followers. Be happy and glad about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And so not only do rules assume relationship, rules provide a blueprint. They provide a blueprint. So here's what we do. Here's, here's, here's the thing. When we read the Beatitudes, that's, that's what this section of scripture is called um, uh, historically. When we read these Beatitudes, a lot of times we're tempted to look at that and say, man, I got a lot of work to do. Can I get an amen, right, when you do that? that when, if we see this and think, man, I do not look anything like that. I got to try harder here. You're missing the point of what Jesus is trying to do. He is not establishing standards for you to meet, but he's painting a picture of what a person looks like when they are being changed by Christ. When they're being changed by the Spirit of God to become more like who they were originally created to be, you will naturally start to see these things rise to the surface. And so I've tried to build these blocks out for you a little bit over the, the next few minutes because I want us to really understand this. And I really pray that God frees you from some things in, re- in relationship to reading the Bible and just interacting with him. When you read poor in spirit, mourning, humility, justice, mercy, purity, peacemakers, persecution, like when you read those things, he's not saying, hey, you better look like this or else you're not in. If rules assume relationship, when you look at these things, you think, th- he's trying to tell you, this is what it should begin to look like as you walk with me as you become more like me. Over time, these things will begin to rise from you. He created you in his image, and he's releasing that grace over time to see things like purity, to see things like humility, to see things uh, like, like a healthy meekness and, and humility. He's, 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 he's allowing these things to rise to the surface as you become more like Christ. And you know what I love what he does here is he continues on. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly 
father. So, so, so then it continues here. So he says, you have poor in spirit. This is the ideal picture of what a person transformed by God is going to, going to continue to look like. It's fruit of your internal change. It's an external reality of your internal change. And he's saying, this stuff right here, it's salty. It's, it's salty and it's lady. Lady is not a word, but today it is, okay? Salty and it's lady. It, there's like something to it. Like he knows what we need as people. He created the world. He created uh, humans. He created us. So he understands that in order for, the hu- for, for, human, uh, for humans to interact well and with a healthy relationship with themselves and others, that we're going to need some purity, some, some humility, some people who realize that, they, that they're not the man, but they need God. He's going to need a lot of people who understand this, who get this. And that stuff is going to be salty. It's going to feel like there's life and flavor and preservation in the midst of the world. He's going to realize that it's going to feel like a light. There's like a bit of a differentiation between the people of God and the people who are still, on the, still, are still listening in. And so you have all these people that are interacting with, with this, and it's salt and it's light, but really, how do we understand? How do we get this? How do we begin to interact with this? Well, he's going to continue. He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Now aren't you confused, right? Like, and you should be. When you read this, you're like, that's confusing. Because you just said, like, like, okay, I, I mean, I, if the rest of the New Testament talks about how, how God's atoning work is done. Like that Jesus was the last and final perfect sacrifice. That I'm free from the law, that I'm free from all of these things. Like this is not, somebody's, but but now, now you're saying that I really, I did, you didn't come to abolish the law, but you came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, verse 18, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the last commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God and teaches them uh, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Okay, so confusing initially, but what Jesus is establishing here He's saying the law, the teachings, the rules are always and were always meant to point to him. The law by itself, all it does is produce guilt and shame. All it does is produce an understanding like, well, yeah, of course I don't have it all together. I'm never going to be able to keep up with this. But he said, you're missing the point. The reason why the, the, the rules and the laws, are all, the reason why all that stuff, none of it's going to die away, none of it's going to pass away, is because they're all pointing to me. How many have jumped on a trampoline before? Come on, you can raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I'm just praying for your joy level. You just have a severely low joy level, I, apparently. It's like just the thing you got to just try once in your life. You know? But you jump on a trampoline. And... And what's the point of the trampoline? Is it to jump or is it to spring? Is it, or is it the springs that are holding uh, the trampoline together? No, it's to jump, right? That's the purpose of this toy. Many of us, though, we look at morality and we look at these things, we look at these rules, and what we do is we focus on all the little springs and all Jesus wants you to do is jump. 
you focus on all these little springs. You're like, well, man, I got to do that, and I got to do that, and I got to do that, and I got to do that. He said, no, 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 just jump with me. Jump with me. If you jump with me, you will see these things begin to take place. If you jump with me, you enjoy me, you will see these changes take place. See, many of you, though, you grew up in places that they said, man, if that spring breaks, the whole thing's going to fall down. And that's not true. Because you've seen millions of YouTube videos where people get their, fo- their foot stuck in that. You know that, right? <laughs> see, many of you, though, you were taught that faith is a bit more like a brick wall. If you take the wrong one out, the whole thing falls down. What kind of faith is that? See, what God's saying is, I want you to jump with me. I want you to enjoy me. I want, I want, don't worry about the springs. The springs are there. The springs are there. They're going to jump. And as you jump, those springs, you're going to realize those springs are doing something. And the changes that, he's taking, that are taking place, they're going to come to play. They're going to come to pass. And they're going to be developed. And they're going to come from the inside out. It's not a club. It's not an angry club leader. It's a loving father. I said, man, I just, want, I just want to jump with you on the trampoline. And those rules are being, being really just, they're, they're, they be, instead of rules, they become fruit. So Jesus said, that, it's, the point is me. The point has always been me. The law can't satisfy by itself. You can't get God's attention by doing really good things all the time. You get God's attention by trusting in the work he's done for you through Jesus. No matter how good you've been, you're never going to get there. No matter how bad you've been, you're not forgotten. He said this is fulfillment. It's the accomplishing the purpose of the law. The law was to point to the fact that we could never do this, that we needed Jesus, and he's here now wanting to be with you, doing something for you, whether right before he ever did something from you. He ever took something from you. Doing something for you before he ever asked you to do anything. And many times we struggle with these rules because like, oh gosh, it's just a different way. It's a different interaction. It's hard. It's difficult. And we forget the heart. It's not heart with no rules and it's not rules with no heart. God's saying it's salty and it's lady. It's Jesus-y. So he continues, though, and I'm not going to read the rest of it. Many people said, thank God, under, in their head. Thanks for, thanks for not saying out loud. But what Jesus does here is he continues, and he moves into the, the, rest of, the rest of five, the rest of chapter six, and the rest of seven, most of the rest of seven, talk about areas that life will look different if you follow Jesus. Because rules assume relationship. They provide a blueprint to the best possible way of life. But rules insist that action matters. Rules insist that action matters. See, look, it's not all heart with no rules. It's not all rules with no heart. Maybe said another way, it's not all grace without works. It's not all works without grace. Rules insist there's a holiness to our activity on this earth today. See, look, everybody lives a certain way of life. Everybody. 
you, whether you're a Christian, Jewish, you could be Muslim, you could just be you. But you have a rule, a rule of life. And you're determining what that is. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, let me, let me just establish what a follower of Jesus, a disciple of, of Jesus is going to establish himself in different ways, um, is, is going to look certain ways in different areas. And so he begins to touch on all these different things. He talks about your anger. So this is what anger looks like as a follower of Christ. He talks about your lust and about marriage and, and really the, the proper way to treat the other individual. He talks about he talks about divorce. Really what divorce should, 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 really how it shouldn't really exist. He talks about oaths and, and the way that we promise the other person. And really what our word means as people. How much pack, is packed into the words that we say to people. He talks about re- retaliation and he talks about praying for your enemies. He talks about giving and how we should give and be generous people. He talks about worship and money. He talks about judging and how sometimes we judge people with negative and kind of negative things and we, we kind of withhold our attention, but sometimes we judge positively and we try to give gifts to try to control people. Man, he talks about anxiety and what anxiety looks like in the kingdom and how to trust him. He talks about serving and the golden rule. See, that, that, this right here is maybe what some would say are the rules. But many of you, you know this to be Christianity. And I'll tell you what, if God was sitting here right now, sitting on the edge of the stage, he just would say, man, I'm so sad that you know that to be Christianity. See, the rules were given to display God's glory and to give us joy. That's that's Christianity. That's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is to display God's glory, that he's the, the best, but also to give us the greatest amount of joy possible. That's why David in Psalm 16 says this. He's singing uh, a, a, a song of praise to God. He says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if I talk to some of you this morning, if I talk to you after service, you do not know the God of this passage. You do not know the God of this passage. And I would just humbly submit to you before, before you this morning that that is who Jesus is. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That when you establish a, a genuine relationship with the creator of the universe, you realize that there are certain things that just are going to take place. You realize he did something for you way before he ever did something, he ever took something from you. We can rest and we can trust and we can build a relationship. And from that, he's going to change us and look, help us look a little bit more like him. It's grace invading every area of our life. 
So he says there's pleasures forevermore. Everyone lives a certain way of life. What Jesus is trying to teach you is the best way to live life. He's saying, I created you. I created the world. I know how this stuff works. And if you would trust me and believe in me and rest in me, I will develop you to look more like the person I originally created you to be. You will be the most you you could ever be. Taken right from a Dr. Seuss book. Right? Come on. Everyone wants this. It's built within us. It's hardwired in our brains, down our backs, into our organs. Like everything is hardwired with this idea that we want to be the type of person that's truest, most form. And as you realize the more that you walk with Christ, the more you grow and you realize there's something true. The more joy you have, the more peace you'll have. Because there's something true because you're wiring yourself according to how the world was originally created to work. We're all groaning with it. We're all just trying to answer it in different ways. And we just haven't learned to call it God yet. He said, man, there's pleasures forever more. Ephesians 2, verse 8, says the same thing. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Can we all say amen to that, right? It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. God, God's shaping us. God's changing us. Not only is salvation by faith, but sanctification, changing to become more like Christ is by faith. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not just grace, but it's works. It's not just works, but it's grace. 1 Peter 2 says it the same way. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, do you see that shift? I just want to make sure we're so clear on this. I really think this is something we struggle with in New England big time. Do you see that shift? He said, go, go back to the first Peter 2. He says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation. As a result, meaning everything on the second part of this verse is predicated on the first part of this verse. Like it, you need the first part to get the second part. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. And so there's an internal reality. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Internal reality. As a result, there is an external reality showing others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And so basically, it begins to interact with this internal reality, becomes external. Now, there's many things that can stop that sort of thing from happening. Salt is salt and light is light, but so apparently salt can be diluted and light can be dimmed. And there's all sorts, everyone here has different reasons for why that might take place. But the purpose of this is to rest and trust in Christ and allow him to continue to change you. It could be extremely frustrating. There are things that could be for years that take place that, that, you could, that, that take you years to really separate from. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, the story about how God, the story of the farmer where the wheat and the chaff grow together. And it's the, and it's the, 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 the worker, it's, it's God that is, essentially helps the two separate. Not the people doing the work, but it's the, the farmer and so it's growing, and it's, it's growing up together, this, the wheat and the chaff, and he separates it when necessary. Stuff that take 
years for you. Some of you have long histories with things. And God's saying, continue to walk with me. Continue to trust me. Continue to rest in me. You are not your performance evaluation. I'm not sitting here asking you to jump a little higher. Jump a little higher. He's a loving dad that wants to jump on a trampoline with you. And as you do, these things will begin to change. They'll begin to move forward. They'll begin to have fruit. And so I really want to make this clear. If you go back to the blocks, many of us, we see poor in spirit, mourning, humility, justice. We see these as our Ten Commandments. We say, man, I've got to check this one off. I've got to check this one off. I've got to check this one off. And that's actually not Christianity at all. That's some form of religion, a little bit closer to, to others, honestly. He's saying this is the heart level. This is the ideal person that is being shaped and changed. This is like perfection. Say, no, we got, don't got that one. And he gets it, there's salt and there's light. But ultimately, this is pointing to who Christ is. He is accomplishing the purpose. That's why these things don't fall away. That's why these things are still good. And he's saying this stuff here will begin to get shaped, will begin to take place, will begin to maneuver towards that as you, be, as you are interacting with Jesus, as you continue to have faith in him, as you continue to trust in him. Then, then we'll find our different approaches to things like anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation. There is a separation in that. And as a, it's, it's our response to those things. Ultimately, that gets shaped after Jesus says, you are mine. Are we tracking this morning? So ultimately, what Jesus is going to do, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew 7, go to the next page, I think it's probably on the next page, right at the end of Matthew 7, he's going to make this really kind of clear distinction. In verse 24, he says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds that beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash so again if you put it back to the blocks if you're looking at this what he's saying okay heart with with no rules rules with no heart it's not really that it's really more this salt this light this this fact that jesus is accomplishing this and when he transforms me i'm becoming a bit more like he created me to be and i can begin to engage with different elements of my life according to the jesus way of life he said, if you look at this thing, I have a choice. I can say, I could build my life on this. And he's saying, that's like building your house on a strong foundation. But because we all live certain ways of life, you are putting different things in this bucket, this ideal bucket, this good and right bucket. And that might not be things like porn spirit or mourning, humility, justice, mercy, purity. It might not be things like that, but more like money and perfect kids and a nice house and all these different ideas like that cause you to be successful. That's the best way of life. 
It may not be, it might be my version of salt, might be my version of light, but I'm not putting Jesus' name in there, I'm putting my name. And then I'm going to take that entire perfect image and I'm going to maneuver things like anger. Now anger is going to look a lot different. Lust is going to look a lot different. Divorce is going to look a lot different because I'm taking Jesus' name out and putting my name in there. He says, I just, this very easy thing. If you can see this, he says, you're just like you're building, your, you're building your house on a rock. But if you put your name in there, it's like you're building your house on sand. Now I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you remember this season where the storm came and the framework of faith didn't hold up. It's kind of like Matthew 7 coming to play here, huh? It's kind of like what Jesus said. It just didn't hold up. What we have to do is reevaluate what the framework of faith is. And I would just say, it better start with Jesus or else you're building your house on sand. And so when you're standing here this morning, you remember the storm. For me, I was in high school and um, I had a close friend of mine pass kind of suddenly. I remember driving down the Wampanoag Trail. Everyone, everyone know where that is? Yeah. Like three Rhode Islanders know where that is. <laughs> the Wampanoag Trail. I was driving it down. And, um, and uh, I just remember the fight I was having with God. Like this stuff, none of this stuff is true, man. None of it. None of it's true. What? Like, if, if, and, and it, like, like really seeping in my words were in, was entitlement. I was really the Lord over my own heart. No, this is true. You didn't give me a good life. This is painful. This is, this, this is terrible. And I remember driving, I remember where I was, right across from Resurrection, Resurrection Cemetery, right? Where, where he said, are you building your house on rock or are you building it on sand? Are you building it on rock or are you building it on sand? It's just a very real application. Very real application. House or sand? Jesus is literally, he's going to say to us today, which one are we? And I would say, start with Jesus. It's the best way of life. When the storm comes, it's going to hold up. It's going to hold up. And if it doesn't, I don't think it was the God of the universe. It might have been your framework. And it's okay to let that fall down. But build a new one on Jesus.